sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. Well, we all know that government and our laws should be based on some shared sense of morality. But how do we establish what that morality is? How do we establish the moral basis for law? Is it strictly from the Bible or something else that philosophers call natural law? Here for a fascinating discussion of this topic, my good friend, President of the Northwest Religious Liberty Association, Greg Hamilton. Greg, always a pleasure to have you on Freedom's Ring. It's a pleasure, thanks. So, natural law is a concept that, you know, it's familiar to philosophers, it's familiar to to those of us who have studied law some, but probably unfamiliar to to many listeners. And um, we're going to try to take uh, a philosophical concept and bring it down to earth. I guess we should start, I know there's different concepts of natural law, but how would you introduce the subject for our listeners? Well, you know, there's a natural order of things. There's gravity, you know, what goes up must come down, that sort of thing. Um, When the wind blows a certain way, you know, uh, light things and trees sway a certain direction, you know, there's natural order of things. Um, When we do something wrong, uh, you know, there's a natural innate um, conscience uh, that everybody possesses that they were born with, they were created with. Um, yes, it recognizes a divine being, but there's a difference in society as to how far one goes with a literal approach to things that scientific would be a literal, physical understanding of natural law or the natural order of things. And then there's the the reasoning side of it um, versus the, the literal side, which is the more philosophical side. So if I'm hearing you correctly, natural law on the one hand encompasses things that are like laws of physics, like gravity, right? but also the basic aspects of right and wrong that everyone universally understands regardless of their culture, regardless of their language and their time in history. Correct. Is that fair? Yeah, moral reasoning, yes. Yes, all possess that moral reasoning to a greater or lesser degree depending on the individual, yes. So how has the concept of natural law developed um, from the ancient times? Well, it started with Plato. Plato and his Republic and also other writings, he basically said there's this perfect order of things and therefore there's also a perfect moral order of things which must be literally ascribed in law in society that everybody must abide by. Aristotle came along um, quite a bit later and said, no, I don't think so. Um, there's this, there's the literal, but then there's the uh, the innate that we all naturally possess. We don't necessarily need a, uh, a law that's used as a hammer by government. Um, and so forth. And so there's these diverging points of view. 
Then Thomas Aquinas came along and he agreed with Aristotle and said that there is a natural law that we all possess in terms of regardless of our station in life or status. And he said that this is what governs each one. And therefore, he basically was the first one to introduce the whole idea of individualism or individuality. And that led to more enlightened perspective of law and individual rights, per se, including uh, just war theory and all kinds of stuff that came out of his treaties of three books, the three volumes called The Laws. And so then you have John Calvin, who comes along and basically says, uh, yeah, he takes it back to Plato, and he goes down this literal approach to understanding natural law instead of individualism, and it was more of a collective understanding of things. Therefore, um, you know, there's a collective will of society, and then there's the individualist approach. He very much rejected the individualist approach and almost returned to a very stringent pre-Aquinas um, view of natural law. So then you come under John. On, let me stop you because I want to reflect on what I'm hearing. Because, of course, Plato and Aristotle, they were not Christian. They were Greek. Right. And right. so um, they would have had some exposure, I think, to the Hebrew scriptures. But their concept of natural law was going to be very different than, say, the Ten Commandments and the Torah and the laws of Moses. Um, but yet Calvin, who, of course, was, you know, was a Protestant and very strong advocate that biblical law should be the basis of society, he reached back to Plato, apparently, is what you're saying. Well, in concept, yeah, not necessarily in name. Um, but nevertheless, in concept, this literal law that must govern society and man versus a more enlightened view of, say, um, individual rights, which you know John Locke would take up later. And John Locke would say, no, there is a point whereby there are individual rights that are sacred. Um, and of course, he drew from the Magna Carta, which in itself really was a an embodiment of natural law understanding. That is, there are common sense values that we all share, and, and out of that are the basis of these laws. And therefore, that creates a fair and equitable society. So you have a literal literalism and fundamentalism versus an Enlightenment liberal perspective. Those have always been the two diverging approaches to understanding both natural law and society and how mankind so, should be governed. As I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about Romans chapter, I believe it's in chapter one, where Paul writes that the invisible things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen so that all are without excuse. Yep, correct. Is Paul there expressing something of this concept of the, the conscience of, of all being able to grasp moral law? Yes. Yeah, Paul was way ahead of his time. Thank you for bringing in Paul to the picture of, of philosophical history. Absolutely, yes. It's innate, he's saying, and uh, it's God-given, sure. In other words, natural law from either perspective does not necessarily reject a divine being. No, of course not. Um, I'm just trying, you know— even in law school, I have to confess, I've always had difficulty grasping this concept of natural law and what I think about it, whether, you know, whether I think it's a good thing or, you know, or what. 
So this is a, a very helpful discussion to have. But, you know, for starters, I mean, I think, for example, you know, thou shalt not kill or thou shalt not murder, um, more literally, is what the commandment says. But the whether people have access to Scripture or not, and of course, so many throughout history have not had access to Scripture, um, almost all cultures recognize, uh, you know, with, with very few exceptions, that, um, you know, that murder and killing are immoral. So is that be a kind of a basic sort of uh, reflection of natural law? Yeah, and an example of that would be if you were to take how laws prosecuted, like Moses, for example, he had a he had a fight with an Egyptian soldier and he slayed him. So would he be tried for murder, or would he just, in other words, not tried, but would he just be executed for murder, or would he be given a reason for his motive and uh, before the, either the bar of God or before Pharaoh? I mean, the point is, is that you know the liberal, um, or let's say the literalist side, doesn't even give you the uh, the chance to have explain a motive. You're you're executed. In other words, you've murdered someone, so therefore you receive the consequences. Natural law and a liberal enlightenment perspective says says yes, we need government and society, but we need a due process of that law and a discovery, and also. Even absent that, in a liberal natural law order, instead of relying on government, there would be a mob mentality where the people would naturally take the law into their own hands. And in other words, that person wouldn't get away uh, with something if they felt it was unjust and he would be executed by the people. So it's, it's, um, it's all very interesting, but uh, natural law is, yeah, it's, it's a bit difficult. But one of the ways that's easiest for me to understand, Alan, is there, it's a way of interpretation. In other words, it's fundamentalism goes down this literalism road, which is, you know, uh, Calvin and others. It's Puritanism. It's this idea that, um, you know, uh, we interpret the Bible literally, word for word inspired. And then there's, you know, the evangelicals came along, which was a more liberal movement in the United States, uh, even during the colonial period, that said, and these people were martyred for it. People like Mary Hutchinson and and uh, Mary Dyer and and others, even Roger Williams, who came along and said, "No, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on. Um, the Word of God is message inspired, not literally word for word inspired." And that's pretty much the way evangelical Protestantism has moved along. But there's always been this group in the United States where they say, "No, the Word of God is literal word by word inspired," and their view, whether they understand natural law or not, is going down that same track of understanding law and how it should be applied. And it boils down to even scriptural interpretation. It boils down to every facet of the way we look at life. It boils down to our worldview. And our worldview either takes a more enlightened approach or it takes a more literal, conservative, fundamentalist perspective. And let's face it, in society, we're pretty much all divided between those two groups conservatism or fundamentalism and liberalism. Well, and, if, uh, the if I can make an application here, and, and correct me if I'm misunderstanding, but so you have this, this literalist strain uh, that would enforce uh, really moral law as understood from Scripture. It would enforce a perfect moral order of things back to Plato's perspective, yes. Mm-hmm. Got it. So... Um, 
And then the, but it, it makes little or no room for individual conscience, whereas uh, the other approach to natural law, I'm not sure you're calling it a more liberal approach, right. but liberal doesn't mean for many of us what it means in the philosophical sense. So I, I hesitate to use the term, but you know the, the non-literal approach does make room for individual conscience and doesn't insist on kind of this absolute moral order in the law. Okay, very, very interesting. Yeah, it's far more nuanced. Yes, correct. Mm -hmm. Well, and so then uh, we come from Locke down to Jefferson and Madison. Locke was tremendously influential, and, and I guess we see this also then play out in how we interpret our Constitution, don't we? Yeah, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because clearly there was uh, this perspective among the founders, and most of them really... Um, were of uh, the Enlightenment philosophy, uh, very much influenced by John Locke and others. Um, now, to what degree could be argued, there's been a number of scholarly articles lately, uh, even by some conservatives who say, wait wait a minute, the Enlightenment was hardly ever mentioned. Sure. Well, they didn't have to mention that they were very well read in it, and so it came out naturally in it. So, so your conservative literalist... So, say, Greg, i got to cut you off. But, we can do a part two. Okay. But we are out of time. This has been a fantastic discussion of natural law with my friend and colleague, Greg Hamilton, president of the Northwest Religious Liberty Association. Stay tuned for part two next week. As we close, remember, friends, even the coronavirus won't slow down our efforts to protect your religious freedom. We don't just talk about it. We provide legal services to those suffering religious discrimination, especially workers. So check us out at churchstate.org, www.churchstate.org. And be sure to listen to Freedom's Ring on our SoundCloud radio station or on iTunes. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Rhinoff. Until next week, friends, keep freedom ringing. <laughs>